0: Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray here, and great to have you along. Going to kick things off with the news, but a little bit later on in the show, uh, going to bring you my nine-month review on the 2020 Yamaha Tenere 700. Let's do the news. And the biggest news from the previous week is that Triumph Motorcycles have announced motocross and enduro revival plans. It's been decades since British motorcycle brand Triumph was last seen in the world of motocross, and in one of the biggest surprises of the year, the the company has announced plans to not only return to the motocross world, but also take aim at the enduro sector as well. In a statement released last week, Triumph said that development is underway, is well underway, on a comprehensive range of all-new competition motocross and enduro motorcycles, the all-new competition MX and enduro family will bring all of Triumph's engineering expertise to the to the dirt for the first time in nearly 50 years. As part of the development of the new bikes and with the aim to race and win at the highest level in the sport, Triumph also announced that global motocross legend Ricky Carmichael and five-time enduro world champion. Ivan Cervantes have joined the Triumph family as active partners in both bike testing and preparation for racing. That expertise will be invaluable for Triumph. Triumph CEO John Bloor said, today's announcement marks the beginning of a new chapter for the Triumph brand, which everyone at Triumph is incredibly excited about. We are 100% committed to making a long-lasting impact in this highly competitive and demanding world, with a single-minded ambition to deliver a winning motorcycle lineup for a whole new generation of Triumph riders. An announcement of the timetable for the launch and reveal of the new motorcycles as well as the racing program and the full story behind the new Triumph MX and Enduro offerings is expected to come out in the coming months. Considered the greatest of all time in motocross circles, Triumph clearly isn't messing around with the addition of Ricky Carmichael to the team. He goes on to say it's an incredibly exciting opportunity for him to join the historic brand and he is honoured and humbled to be part of the development and release of the off-road motorcycles. If you're familiar with the Triumph brand, you'll already know the quality of craftsmanship is top shelf. We are super excited by the idea of Triumph branching out into the dirt sector. It's kind of a return to Triumph's roots in a way, considering motocross racing was originally done on old British twins in the 50s and 60s. The possibilities are seemingly endless for Triumph as well. With a set of enduro bikes, could we see Triumph motorcycles eventually head into the desert and take on the Dakar Rally. Now that would be cool to see. More info at onthrottle.co.nz KTM's RC8 is back as a track only RC8C. been a while since KTM discontinued the angular RC8 Superbike but now the firm, which in recent times has been seeing some success in MotoGP is back with a track focused bike based around the 890 Duke R. The KTM RC8C is a limited production track only motorcycle that KTM says is being built to satisfy the apex slaying needs of the orange bleeding track warriors dedicated to putting in fast lap times with unmatched hyper focus precision the KTM RC8C is the embodiment of KTM's ready to race ethos. Key figures include 128 horsepower peak power figure, 140 kg dry weight, and plenty of bespoke features unique to the RC8C. Limited to just 100 examples worldwide, and no guarantees any examples of the lightweight hand-built racing prototype are gonna make their way to Kiwi Shores. As the C in the name denotes, the new RC8C is powered by KTM's LC8C parallel twin engine, producing 128 horsepower, breathing through dedicated racing exhaust, by Acroprovic with a titanium muffler tip this in turn is bolted to a bespoke25crmo4 tubular steel frame augmented by a selection of WP Pro suspension components at either end. The forks are hand-built 43mm WP Apex Pro 7543 closed cartridge units, KTM says the fork of the RC8C is developed using experience gain from KTM factory racing efforts across a number of international championships, with the suspension assembled in the same department which builds and maintains the suspension of the MotoGP Racing RC16. Controlling the rear end is a WP Apex Pro 7746 shock, KTM says this can be easily adjusted to suit all riders. Is in almost any situation by means of separate high low speed compression and rebound settings pulling everything to a halt is a set of brembo Stylema calipers on 290 millimeter fully floating brake discs with aluminium rotors fastened by titanium screws on the front And for the rear, Brembo also comes to the party with a two piston caliper and a 230mm fully floating disc mounted directly on the hub. Alongside the KTM RC8C itself, customers also have the opportunity to join the Red Bull KTM factory racing team for a one off customer event limited to only 25 customers and the exclusive event will give customers a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to ride with the likes of Danny Petroza. Uh, they'll also give riders tips during the day at Circuit de Jerez. All of those opting for the KTM RC8C track experience will additionally receive a KTM RC8C race track package, including an extra set of DIMAG wheels front and rear, an extra set of front and rear brake discs, front and rear paddock stands, tyre warmers and a KTM race carpet. For more details on the KTM RC8C, check out onthrottle.co.nz. Royal Enfield runs away with mid-sized sales in New Zealand. Indian-owned Royal Enfield makes no bones about its mission in life being to dominate the middleweight category, and it appears to be doing just that right here in little old New Zealand. June was a stellar month for the world's oldest motorcycle brand in in continuous production, with Royal Enfield topping the sales charts for bikes specifically between 250cc and 1000cc in engine size. That means the figures Enfield are going by exclude popular models uh, of small capacity motorcycles such as Suzuki's GSX-R250R which misses out at a paltry 249cc capacity. Royal Enfield shifted 67 bikes in June into owners hands according to the Motor Industry Association figures, with Royal Enfield's classic and Himalayan fighting for the top spot within the brand. The brand's popularity in the mid mid-size segment is hardly surprising considering Royal Enfield is one of the fastest growing brands in the the world at the moment, Enfield saw a growth of close to 60% in 2020 as compared to the previous year in the road biking segment. This comes off the back of a growth in the overall retail footprint of the brand in the Asia-Pacific region, which grew by 50% in key priority markets for 2020. Royal Enfield has 47 outlets across Australia and New Zealand, and they go on to say they're absolutely delighted that they have become the number one mid-sized bike brand in the country for the month of June. Royal Enfield recently added two new models to the dealerships in the form of the Meteor 350 and the limited edition Classic 500 Tribute Black. Overall sales, Suzuki remains in the most popular motorcycle brand spot in New Zealand by a strong margin with 951 sales this year. This is followed by Yamaha with 489, Honda with 423, KTM with 420 and Royal Enfield having sold a total of 259 units. Good for 7th place overall and ahead of the likes of Kawasaki, BMW and Indian. More details, check out the latest edition of Kiwi Rider magazine, go to Google, type Kiwi Rider Jumag and click on the latest magazine. You can read it for free, you can download it, you can print it off if you like, but it's much more environmentally friendly as it's a completely digital magazine and completely produced right here in little old New Zealand. Failing that, just check out kiwirider.co.nz. That wraps us up for the news.
1: welcome to my nine month review of the Tenere 700. Got the bike in uh, November last year, been doing quite a bit of riding and commuting on it since. 15,000 Ks in fact, pretty close to it anyway. It was my dream bike at the time, it was the bike that I had lusted after for quite a number of months since the launch. And so i guess the question is is the love affair still alive so let's uh let's talk the good the bad and the ugly on the tenere 700 the good ergonomics are fantastic i haven't really had to adjust much i've brought the bars back towards me ever so slightly i love the position of the foot brake the gear lever is right there where you want it the bike itself is really really comfortable i mean it's not the most comfortable seat in the world but it's good enough for 300 k's in a stretch and then stop for a cup of coffee or something CP2 engine, full fat version, 689 cc. It's got a nice little, little bit of low bow, low down torque. It's really good on that, uh, on that front. But it'll also, it'll also boogie up top. It'll match any bike in its class. When I, mean, I put it side by side with the Triumph Tiger 800, bugger all difference in it. 689 cc versus an 800 cc. All good, no dramas. The bike makes me look like I can ride, which is brilliant because my my ability lacks somewhat occasionally. It's a pretty good mile muncher. Six gears, it'll cruise quite happily at 100, 110. Sixth gear, Uh, fuel consumption is pretty good. I think we're talking on average four liters to the 100 kilometers think that's how it works out, I won't be wrong, so yeah, it's a pretty good bike, Uh, it cost me about 30 bucks in gas a week, commuting every day, and I I only have to fill up once a week, generally, still running the factory pegs, taking the rubber inserts out, yeah, it's a good bike, the bad, what is bad about this bike, well, there's a couple of things that I've really had to, uh, I've really had to do some deep soul searching to work out, The absolute worst thing about this bike and I'm really digging deep here and when I tell you you're going to understand, the absolute number one worst thing about this bike is the fuel gauge and in particular the low fuel light, it annoys me chronically. So this bike is a 16 litre fuel tank, math says it'll do 350 k's to a tank and I'm one of these people that always zeroes my trip meter every time I get gas. So I know how far I have got to go. The annoying thing is, if math says we'll do at least 350 k's to a tank, the fuel light starts blinking at the 230 to 250 kilometer mark. Meaning we've still got at least 100, 130 k's in the tank when it starts blinking and saying I'm out of fuel, give me fuel. Which to me is just needy and annoying. It's as though the fuel management system hasn't been changed since it was used in the MT-07, because it basically blinks about the same place as it would on the MT-07, yet the mt 7s only got a 14 litre tank. Uh, one more thing that really irritates me about this bike is the location of the switch to change between fuel consumption and trip meters. Yeah there's two buttons on the dash cluster which are, if I'm fair, just a little bit too far away, like you can reach them, you will lean forward to get to them. Uh, there's a switch on my right hand switch gear which I can toggle, or I can scroll through all the menus. menus, scroll through the functions of the trip meter but it's on the right hand, it should have been on the left, just kind of annoying when you're Cruising along, holding a current speed, and you have to try and, you know, hold the throttle while you stretch your thumb out to try to do it now, and it's awkward. So yeah, that's that's uh, two things that really kind of irritate me about this bike. Is there anything else? Um, yes, one more thing, and it's kind of this one's a bit more serious than the other two. The exhaust muffler, the muffler hanger, the exhaust hanger off the rear of the bike is welded to the subframe. So the hanger itself is actually part of the subframe. Silly thing being, if you drop the bike on the right-hand side, you're going to bend your muffler in, probably start scraping against your swing arm, and by doing so, you've actually bent your subframe. You've bent your bike. You claim insurance on that, they're going to write it off. That was an oversight, that that, that that hanger, that bracket, shouldn't have been attached to the subframe. Yamaha, I'm sorry, I'm not an engineer, but I can't see how that was a good idea. So it, there should have been, it should have been a bracket, a bolt-on bracket. So that's the bad, three things that are bad, and I'm deep, I'm digging pretty deep to find those things. I mean, the exhaust one's a bad one, but it's not the end of the world. Um, the, the fuel one, it's annoying. But again, not the end of the world. And the, uh, the switch, nah, not the end of the world. So y- you've got three things there that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, and compared to a really, really good bike. And the ugly, well the ugly is that swing arm if the uh, muffler bends in and starts rubbing against it. And other than that, that's it. they build built a really, really good bike, Yamaha have. And there's some things that I could I could want I do look at a couple of other bikes and go, oh it'd be nice to have that. But they're not like hundred percent needs. A couple of them but silly really as well. Like it'd be nice to have cruise control, but it's not, not a need. You're gonna have cruise control, you might as well have um, rider modes and different maps and um, full colour TFT. You don't need it. And it's not really the point of the bike. Yamaha built the bike to to be a simple nothing goes wrong and if it does you can fix it in the bush kind of machine. And so that's what you've got, that's what you buy. But it would be nice to have a colour TFT. That said, if I was to do it over again, the question is would I buy this bike again? I've been riding it for nine months now. Am I sick of it? Do I want to try something else? Yeah, I always want to try something else. But no, I'm not sick of this bike. This bike is brilliant. I'm cruising up the motorway now, bang on 100 in traffic. It's nimble enough to to squeeze between traffic, but big enough to be able to accelerate out of issues and get up to speed at a pretty decent pace. The Senora 700 is is a great bike, I really like it. Modifications, I've done a few mods to it i've done some things that that have helped me live with the bike as a commuter and as a adventurer as a weekend warrior but i don't think what i've done to this bike is anything you wouldn't do to any bike so the question do you need to modify the bike for it to be good at what you want it to do no 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 you don't the bike out of the box is a brilliant adventurer if you get everything in your backpack then you're away laughing i put luggage on it i put a ventura rack on there and a couple of bags. I've also got the Krieger OS base system, two 12 litre Krieger packs that go on the bike. Luggage, you do that to any bike. I got a um, Scott Oiler X System 2.0. That just means I've got less chain maintenance to worry about, commuting every day. You do that to any bike if you're commuting, if you had the money, or couldn't be bothered doing the chain maintenance and it does a great job looking after the chain. What else have I done to this bike? I have changed the levers, but I didn't need to do that, I wanted to do that. I've put a Beeline, I've got a Beeline navigation unit on the bike at the moment, testing it out. You'll see a video or something coming up in the future. But did I need it? No, I don't need built-in navigation for this bike. i put a, uh, a lock phone holder on the bars. I would put that on any, any bike, so the modifications I've done to this bike apart from, now here's the caveat, the crash bars, the crash bars and the skid plate, in my view, were required because it's a $17,000 bike, I'm spending 17 grand and I'm taking it out into the bush, if I drop it, then I'm going to be so dark on myself, so I had to put some form of crash protection on the bike, that was probably the most expensive thing i put on this bike, at about. So thank you very much uh, Hardback Motor Tech for the crash bars and skid plate that we put on the T7. Outstanding. Haven't had a problem with them. Absolutely love them. Some people have a moan about the uh, the handguards. No dramas from me. No complaints from me about the handguards whatsoever. They do what they're designed to do. They've stopped me breaking levers when I've dropped the bike a couple of times. They keep a bit of the wind off my hands all good and that's about all I've done to the bike literally I changed some tires I put the Midas E07 pluses on which in my view are um, kind of necessary if you want to do a bit more than a gravel road the front Pirelli STR I found a little bit squirrely on the gravel roads but perfectly fine off on the tarmac the back STR was fine the Midas E07's got a bit more muddy and gravel grip but I'm back on the STR now because I've got a puncture in the Midas07 Plus and I'm just waiting for that to be repaired and it will probably go back on the bike coming towards spring when I start doing a few more adventure rides. But I really like the Pirelli STR rear and how it feels on the tarmac. It feels a bit more, it's a bit adventurous but it's a bit more like a road tyre. Anything else on this bike? It, um, it's pretty well equipped for what it is. The, um, it, it comes with a 12 volt socket to put your, your USB attachment in there, charge your phone or your GPS or whatever while you're riding. Putting the Ventura rack on, putting all the modifications in fact on this bike have been really, really easy. It's It has been like the Toyota Hilux of bikes. It feels really comfortable standing up, it feels pretty comfortable sitting down. You can do 300 k's in one stint, no dramas. The Tenere 700 has been everything I wanted in my first adventure bike. If I, had to, if I had to describe to somebody what it was like to ride this bike, I would have to say it's somewhere between the most comfortable and refined dirt bike you can think of, crossed with a pretty snappy and responsive mid-range road bike, which is exactly what it is. It is, a, I think a, think a DR650, but really nice and refined crossed with an MT-07, it's pretty much exactly what it is, you don't have to be going off road to enjoy this bike, 95% of my riding is on road, yeah I've gone and done the Molesworth, the Rainbow, the 42nd Traverse, Fisher's Track, Taylor's Pass, Magatapu, and the bike pretty much did them all as um, factory, I'm riding it around Lower Hutt right now, I've just left Wellington City, I've gone straight up the motorway, I got off the motorway at Malling and now I'm in Lower Hutt and it, it, it retains most of the road manners that you would expect from riding an mto 7 Difference between this and MT-07, you're higher, you're upright and you've got the ability to stand up when you want. So if you've just done 200 kilometres, pulled into a town, you can stand up on those pegs, stretch the legs out and go for another 100, 150 kilometres before your tank runs out. Where on the MT07, about 150, 200 kilometers, you're screaming for a town, then you wanna get off, and you wanna stretch your legs, and that just takes up time. So you don't get where you're going any faster. Teneroy 700, brilliant bike, I love it. Would I buy it again? Guess I would, 100%. Maintenance on it is really easy as well. I've done an oil change, I've done the air filter a few times, I probably need to do the air filter again, just, just quietly air filter's really easy, it's got an, uh, a foam air filter, take it out wash it out, re-oil it, pop it back in the oil filter is really easily accessible, hidden up behind that skid plate so it ain't going to get damaged, drop the skid plate off, drop the oil out of it use a bit of degreaser, clean you know, all the gunk and crap that you can't get to when the skid plate's on it, clean all that off, put some new oil in it, done probably an hour job, once you've figured out what radio station you wanted to listen to or put a good podcast
0: on. <laughs> and that's about where the batteries and my little old recording device uh, gave up the ghost. But uh, long story short, Tenere 700, nine months and 15,000 k's later, I'm still in love with it. Gonna get some photos at uh, on and in an upcoming edition of Kiwi Rider magazine as well. So check out the latest edition of Kiwi Rider magazine, absolutely free, produced right here in New Zealand, and stock full to the gunnels of motorcycling content and goodness. Just go to Google, search uh, Kiwi Rider Jumag. It's J-O-O-M-A-G and it'll take you to the newsstand for, with the entire back catalogue for the last four or so years. Heaps of magazines, heaps of photos, heaps of specs. Check it out, kiwirider.co.nz. If you forget every other way to go and find it don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now that would be absolutely outstanding if you could do that uh it helps us justify to the penny pinches that this podcast is worth making love to hear from you with your feedback as well podcast at kiwirider.co.nz is the email address podcast at kiwirider.co.nz or get hold of us on social media or on facebook instagram and tiktok as well can you believe it a little bit of tiktok content going up from time to time i've been ray here and this is up Podcast. Thank you very much for listening keep the rubber side down throttle on and we'll catch you in 7 days time